Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Main Street Finance Podcast. I am, of course, Alex, your host. And today on the show, we're going to talk about choosing a broker. We're going to talk about the big three brokers. We're going to talk about some things you're going to want to ask yourself before picking who you want to hold your money with. We're going to cover some things that you should look for in choosing a broker. And we're also going to go over which brokers I use and which accounts I keep with them. So stay tuned as we talk about brokers. You're listening to the Main Street Finance Podcast where we take the Wall Street bull by the horns to help you achieve your financial goals. Whether it's budgeting, investing, or financial independence, we tackle the big questions in the pursuit of financial literacy. And now, your host. This week's episode is all about brokers. So what is a broker? Well, You as an individual do not have the ability to go out and simply purchase stocks on your own because what happens is for every sale of a stock, somebody has to be buying, somebody has to be selling, and they sell directly to each other. So what that means is you've got to either know somebody who is selling the same amount of shares at the price you want to sell or you have a broker, which by definition, a broker is just someone who brings together buyers and sellers. So in this case, we're talking about buyers and sellers of stocks, bonds, and other financial assets. In the brokerage world in America, there are what's known as simply the big three, which are the biggest three brokers with the most amount of money in accounts with them. And those three are going to be Fidelity, Charles Schwab, and Vanguard. Now, I'm not sure about the relative size of the three in regards with who's number one and who's number three, but those are the big three. The three offer the same types of products as well as the same or similar services, but what really is different is in the execution, or for me personally, I look at the aesthetics a bit too, because if I'm going to be spending a lot of time in their apps and websites and using their interfaces, I would personally like it to look good as I'm doing it. Between the big three, one of the things you should really be aware of is the ownership structure of the company. So Fidelity is owned by a single family. So it's still a private business, one family owns it, and all the earnings from the business goes straight to that family. Next, Charles Schwab. Charles Schwab is actually publicly traded, so if you wanted to, you could go and purchase shares in Charles Schwab. So if they were to go and raise fees for some reason, you know, just make more money or cover expenses, as a shareholder, if you wanted to hold shares in them, you would be a partial beneficiary of those raised charges. So yeah, you might have to pay a little bit, but you'd end up getting some of that back. And then you have Vanguard. Vanguard is jointly owned by all the people who have accounts with them. So it's sort of, if you have an account with them, you are also a part owner in it. This structure is interesting in that if you have an account with them, you get the benefit of also being an owner. So they don't just raise fees because they need to make money for shareholders or that one family that owns them. If they ever raise fees, is because they have an expense they have to pay. Or, you know, some kind of fees went up. No one's making a profit. The profit is that all the people who have accounts with them are the owners, so fees only go up to benefit the people who use the service. So that was a little bit of the big three. Honestly, I have never had an account with Fidelity, but I have dealt with both Charles Schwab and Vanguard, but I'm going to leave my comments at that at the end. Now, before picking a broker, there's I have about five questions here that you should probably ask yourself before really settling into who you want to use, whether it's going to be one of the big three or one of the other smaller firms. The first thing you should really look at is what kind of accounts are you going to need? 
So all of them are going to have taxable accounts, but do you need them to hold solo 401k accounts, some obscure IRA accounts? Maybe you're going to need some student accounts or like a 529 account. Do you want that same broker to be able to hold your HSA? Basically, you just need to sit down and look at your financial picture and say, okay, these are the accounts I'm going to use for either financial independence or just to get my ship straight. So if you're going to choose a broker and you're one of those people that you would like to have one broker handle all of your stuff, it's really important to know the product offerings and the account offerings of your potential broker to be sure that that broker does have the capability to handle all of your financial needs when it comes to investing. The next question you're going to want to ask yourself is, are you going to want or need any kinds of educational resources? Are you going to want to have a broker that also has online resources for what is a stock, what is a bond, what is a iron butterfly, which if you want to go ahead and Google that, that's a, that's a fun project. The point is, are you going to want a broker that also has free online education to where you can really educate yourself, see videos, see people standing at a whiteboard really explaining this stuff to you? Or is that really something you're not really interested in? Maybe you just have a totally passive strategy where you just set up your account and then you're just in index funds. Because if that's what you're doing, you really don't need those educational resources. But if you're someone who aspires to eventually be not quite a day trader, but someone that has individual stocks in their portfolio or wants to explore, or if you're just curious and want to know how the markets work or some other fun stuff, like if you're a finance nerd like me and you just want to read through it, you're going to want to know, is your future potential broker going to have those kinds of resources to where you can go and really get that information? And how good are those educational resources? Going hand in hand with educational resources, do they give you some kinds of report or maybe free research into individual companies. For example, does having an account with a certain broker give you access to research reports into specific companies? So for example, if you wanted to see, oh, well, what does a financial professional think about Walmart? And you can go click a button and get a seven-page report on exactly every little thing that Walmart's doing and a sort of in-depth analysis as far as what they and their professional opinion think about it. I know there are several brokers that do this, but if that sort of thing interests you, that might be something worth looking into of, will your future broker have that? A third question you're going to want to ask is, what kind of trades are you going to be doing? Are you just going to be doing buying and selling? Or are you going to be doing some stuff with futures or commodities or maybe currency? If you want to be doing some stuff like that, you want to make sure that your broker has the capability to do that, but not only the capability, how easy is it to do? And then this ties back into those educational resources. If you're trying to get into something more in-depth than just passive or even active investing and you want to jump into foreign exchange or individual bonds, something like that, you want to make sure that your broker has not only the resources to teach you that, but also the capability for you to go in and really execute these trades properly. Something you want to be aware of, if you're just going to be doing stocks and bonds or ETFs, mutual funds, passive investing, something like that, you're not really going to need to be focusing on how easy it is for you to set up some kind of futures or option strategy. I have a pretty diverse audience, so I just wanted to be sure to cover that just to make sure we're all set. The fourth question you're going to want to ask yourself is, would you consider yourself to be a passive or an active investor? If you're going to log in more than once or twice a week and do more than just check balances on stuff, then chances are you're more likely more of an active investor. A passive investor is more, you have your portfolio written out, you have it sitting there, and you know 
X percentage of my portfolio is going to go to this, X percent to this, so on and so forth. And the only times you're going to really jump in there and do something is going to be when you're making a deposit and you have to put that money where it needs to go and you're not necessarily buying and selling into and out of different stocks, bonds, and whatever. So I throw this in here because you have brokers like M1. With M1 Finance, they only do trades once per day. You sort of have to set up your trades and then M1 does every trade for all of their accounts at the same time. So if you're trying to do day trading or buy into something in the morning, sell it in the afternoon, you cannot do that with M1 because they do everything all at once. That one's a little bit of an outlier because most brokers, as long as open to close, you can buy, sell, whatever, you're good to go. Going along with that, something you might want to look into is does your broker or will your future broker allow you to do pre-market trading or after-market trading? which simply means you're trading before the market opens or after the market closes. It's pretty self-explanatory. But some brokers will only allow you to trade during open hours, and they won't let you do it a little bit before or a little bit after. Now, the last question you're going to want to ask yourself and look into, which this should also be the easiest thing to verify, is your future broker a member of FINRA, the FDIC, and the SIPC? So let's go ahead and tackle each of those. I am planning on having a future episode where I talk about the different regulatory and government agencies that are involved with investing, so these will be covered in depth more in a future episode, but just for a broad definition. So FINRA is an acronym, F-I-N-R-A. Basically, they're a financial regulatory authority, and simply what that means is they set up rules. You shall do this, you shall not do this, but for financial institutions. So in general, you would like whatever financial agency is that you deal with to be a member of FINRA because they look out for consumers as well as making sure that brokers and other institutions aren't doing things that they should not be doing. Next is going to be the FDIC, which if you have a bank account, chances are you know who these guys are. It's the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation. And basically, it's a government entity that is insurance in case your bank fails. So if you have a checking account with a small community bank that has $10,000 in it and the bank just goes bankrupt, disappears, folds, whatever, disappears the next day, well, the FDIC is the group that comes in and writes you a check that says, hey, this bank wasn't supposed to disappear. Uh, here's your $10,000 back. So it's exactly what it sounds like. It's an insurance company meant for consumers to have faith in the banking system that, hey, if your bank suddenly folds tomorrow or doesn't have the money to give you back the money that was in your account, the FDIC is the organization that steps in and writes you a check to reimburse you. Whether or not your financial institution is part of the FDIC is going to be mostly based off of if they offer some kind of deposit service. So if they give you a debit card, if they offer a checking account or a savings account, direct deposit into one of those accounts, those are going to be the institutions that have FDIC coverage, which they're usually very blatant about advertising. Hey, we're member FDIC. If your broker doesn't have deposit accounts and you don't see FDIC, that's perfectly fine. Chances are they don't have the kinds of accounts to be covered, and that's why they're not a part of the FDIC. And the last one is the SIPC, or Securities Investor Protection Corporation. It's a lot like the FDIC as far as the function of it, but it protects you against financial institutions that are brokers. So if you have a stock portfolio with a broker, and that broker goes bankrupt tomorrow, instead of the FDIC coming in and writing you a check for your deposit accounts, 
the SIPC comes in and writes you a check for whatever you had in that investment account. Now, the SIPC does not cover you against investment losses. A lot like how the FDIC would come in and write you a check to replace whatever you had in your checking account if your bank went under. If your broker goes under, the SIPC comes in and writes you a check for whatever investments that you had at the time that your broker disappeared. So if you only had 200 shares of a fund and your institution or your broker suddenly disappears, they're going to come in and either give you enough to repurchase those shares or just give you those shares back. It's really important that your broker is going to be A, a part of FINRA, B, be a part of the SIPC, or C, if they offer deposit accounts or savings accounts, that they're a part of the FDIC. Although if they don't offer those accounts, it is completely fine for them to not be a part of the FDIC. So let's go ahead and transfer over. What kind of things should you be looking for once you've narrowed down your brokers and you're down to the last couple? Well, I think the first thing you should look for are the different services that they offer. So do they offer banking services? Are you looking for a checking account or savings account? Do they offer lines of credit or margin loans against your portfolio? Do they offer fractional shares? Do they offer education and research? And what kind of dividend reinvestment plan do they offer? Which we talked about in a previous episode what dividends are. Essentially, it's instructions for your broker that, hey, when I get dividends, this is what you should do with it. That's what's known as a dividend reinvestment plan. Just the default instructions that your broker has that when you get those payments, this is what they're supposed to do with it. After services, what you're going to want to look for are the fees. Now, a lot of them are free to have the account, or they'll be free if you check a box to where you want digital receipt of all your documents that they have to give you. I've seen a couple of them do that, where it's, it's a free account if you get all your stuff digitally. If you want all your stuff to be mailed to you, it's maybe $50 a year or $100 a year or something like that. Another thing you're going to want to look for as far as fees are going to be just different transaction costs. Do they charge a fee for buying and selling stocks? Do they charge a fee if you're going to do some kind of futures trading or whatever other kinds of crazy trading you feel like doing? If they have deposit accounts, what kind of fees do they charge on those? What are their rates if you want to take a loan out against your portfolio? Or if you want to get a loan with them for something like a car or home improvement, whatever else? Every broker should have a fee schedule, which is just a one-page, two, three piece of paper that just says, hey, this is where we get our money from. If you do this kind of transaction, we're going to charge you this. If you do this, we're going to charge you this, et cetera, et cetera. Basically, for every buy transaction, it's 50 cents. For every bank transfer from your investment account to your bank, that's going to be a dollar, something like that. A third thing you're going to want to look for is, does your broker or your future broker, will they offer the mutual funds that you want? So some brokers will offer tons of their own mutual funds as well as mutual funds for other companies. Something that you might not be aware of is that a lot of times they compete with each other. Like there will be the same fund essentially, but there's the Fidelity version or the Vanguard version. For example, Vanguard is highly renowned as having the widest selection of really low expense ratio mutual funds. Lately, over the past year or so, Schwab and Fidelity have been offering very similar funds for very competitive prices. Well, to keep that competition a little bit stronger, Fidelity stopped offering a lot of Vanguard's funds, as well as charging a huge fee that you should not pay under any circumstance to invest in Vanguard mutual funds 
instead of their own funds. If you have a fund that you want to buy, make sure that your future broker has that fund available or a similar fund. If you're not married to the Vanguard S&P 500 fund, I guarantee you now that Schwab and Fidelity also offer an S&P 500 fund. So it might be important that, you know, if you're loyal to a certain mutual fund company, that your future broker is going to offer those without charging you an absurdly high fee. But also, do they offer a large selection of mutual funds? Is your broker only going to offer 10 or 12 different mutual funds or 6,000? That's just something to look into. Now, the next two things that I'd recommend looking into are something that we already covered when it comes to choosing a broker, but also to narrow it down. And that's going to be the account types offered as well as the research that's offered. So before choosing a broker, you need to make sure that whatever account you want to open, that broker can open or that that broker has it available for you to open. The next thing is going to be research. Now, that could be research into specific companies such as, you know, how do we think Walmart's going to do in the next year? And you can go and pull up some financial professional's seven-page report where they cite sources, give examples, charts, historical performance, news articles. Or it could be the educational tools where they go and they teach you how to look at this stuff for yourself. Depending on what kind of investor you are, if you're going to do active, passive, if you're going to be buying individual stocks, that might be something that's really important to you. Or if you want the option of getting that education for yourself, you know, just so you know, or so you can make your own decisions. That might also be important to you and something to know. And the last thing I think you should look for, and this is something I added onto the list because I recently discovered this about myself, is going to be the aesthetics and functionality of the trading platform. So if you're going to open an account with Vanguard, Schwab, or any of the others that either are or are not the big three, personally, I like it to look good. I am someone who looks at my account very regularly. I spend a lot of time cruising through different articles they have, different research, investment reports. I want whatever app or website I'm looking at to look good. Like I want it to flow. I want it to not be an aggressive color or overly bland. And I just kind of recognize this about myself because I got really tired with a certain broker that everything just looked plain. So I switched primarily because of that, but also for several other things. But this might be just a nitpicky thing on me. So if you're like me and you like to have, you know, good-looking aesthetics on whatever you're using, I would recommend going to the broker's website, maybe downloading their app if you want, or you can go on YouTube, just do a couple searches for that broker and then just flip through videos cuz usually you're going to find somebody on YouTube flipping through their account either on their phone, tablet, website, whatever. So without ever signing up for the account, you can see what everything looks like. And by seeing everything, if you're an aesthetics person, you can tell if this kind of broker is going to just be an eyesore where you just cringe every time you log in, or if it's something that looks good that you can live with. So now that we've talked about some questions that you should ask yourself before looking into a broker, as well as some things to look for once you've narrowed down your search to a couple brokers, let's go ahead and talk about the last thing we're going to talk about today, which is going to be which brokers I use and why. I use a combination of three brokers just because that's what it takes for me to get what I want. And that's dependent on a couple reasons, one of which is because one of them is my 401k provider, which is not one of the big three. And I don't really get a choice on who my 401k is with because that's just who your employer picks. So I have that one out of because I have to, not necessarily <laughs> because I want to, so we're not going to cover them. As far as the two brokers that I use besides them that I actually got to choose, 
I use Charles Schwab and M1 Finance. I'm going to go ahead and talk with Schwab. Schwab, I hold a taxable fund money account. And what that means is basically if I have a gut feeling about a company or I've done a lot of research into a company and I have a lot of faith in it, I will invest in it using my Schwab account because that's my fund money that, you know, if I lose all of it, whatever. It's my having fun. I don't want to say it's gambling because a lot of research goes into a company before I decide to put money into it, but it is a quote-unquote fun money account. Now, I hold the Schwab account because I really like the aesthetics. I like how it looks. The functionality is really easy. I have a lot of fun with it. And also, they give you a lot when it comes to research and education. Now, personally, I don't use a lot of education, but I do use a lot of the research. With Schwab, they give you access to Morningstar reports. Now, Morningstar is a big company that analyzes stocks and really gives you a breakdown on stuff. You can go on their website for free and view a bunch of stuff, but you don't get access to a lot of the reports unless you have an account with them and you're paying money. But if you have a Schwab account, they're one of several that offers those Morningstar reports for free. Schwab also offers their own investment reports where they give stocks a grade of A through F and then tell you the reasons why. And then there's about four or five other companies that Schwab has deals with where they will provide their research to you for free because you're a Schwab account holder. So in general, I have Schwab for my fund money account because having that account gives me access to tons of research if I needed it, education, the aesthetics are good, and the functionality is solid. I use Schwab for those reasons. Now, I had said I only have fun money accounts with them, and that's not my quote-unquote serious accounts. My quote-unquote serious accounts I keep with M1 Finance. M1 Finance is not one of the big three. They're, in fact, one of the smaller ones as far as uh, big brokerage firms go. Uh, I believe they just hit a billion dollars in accounts maybe a month or two ago. But I feel secure using them because they're a member of the SIPC, which, if you remember, they cut checks in case your broker disappears. So even though they're a smaller broker that's less established, if they disappear tomorrow, I get all my money back. So I feel comfortable using them because I know, worst case scenario, the SIPC has my back. Now, M1 is a strange kind of platform. I like the aesthetics, but they do basically everything differently than how other brokers do it. And I use them because of how passive they are. With most brokers, you have to go in for basically every dollar that you deposit and say, okay, I have $200, Walmart is $100 a share, so you got to go and actually click a couple buttons and put in the order to purchase two shares of Walmart. So for every deposit, you need to go and put in that transaction to go and purchase the shares. With M1, you don't have to do that. With M1, you set up what they call a pie, and what the pie is, it's like a pie chart. So you go in and say, I want 50% of my money to be in an S&P 500 fund. I want 30% of my money to be in a bond fund and 20% in cash. And what M1 does is as soon as you make the deposit, they go in and instead of just dividing each deposit, they will go and they will look at your portfolio. And whatever is under the percentage that you told them to be, they are going to go ahead and put it towards the stuff where the money needs to go. So let's keep things simple. Let's say you tell M1 you wanted 50% stocks, 50% bonds. Well, if on the day you make a $500 deposit, your portfolio is looking like 40% stocks and 60% bonds, they're going to put the entire deposit into the stocks to be able to balance it out. Now, that was a rather crude example, but you get the idea. 
whatever portfolio allocation is lower than where it should be, which is where you told it to be, it's going to prioritize putting the money there to build your portfolio as you told it to be. And then they also do fractional shares. So if you can't afford the full shares, so if you put in $150 and Walmart is $100 a share, you can buy a share and a half instead of just one share and $50 in cash waiting for you to get another full 100 So M1 has a lot of great benefits, which is why I use them as my primary broker. And I can honestly make an entire episode out of it, but I'm just going to leave it at that. They do a lot of fun stuff. They have a lot of good offerings. I like the aesthetics. So M1 Finance is where I keep my taxable dividend account as well as my Roth IRA account. So to sum up my investment accounts, all of my investments are split between three brokers. One is my 401k provider, which I did not get to choose. That's just who my employer used. As far as the ones I can choose, I keep both of my serious accounts, which are my taxable dividend portfolio, as well as my Roth IRA with M1, because with them, all I have to do is set up the deposits and they balance everything out and they manage the portfolio for me. And my third broker is Charles Schwab, who I use for my fund money account because it looks good as well as they give you a lot of access to research reports and education. And that is a pretty concise summary of where I keep all of my investment accounts and how I use them. Now, I do want to make a quick note that I have not been paid in any way, shape, or form for any of the brokers mentioned in this podcast. None of them have paid me to mention their services. I simply talk about it because I found a lot of value in their services, and I've seen a lot of stuff recently about you can't trust people without hearing how they manage their stuff or who they use. And it's not that I agree with them, but I think for some people it is good to hear, well, I listen to this guy on financial stuff, so what does he use? So in the spirit of being open, I decided to go ahead and just share where I keep my money. In short, none of them pay me. Thus far, I have not made a single dollar off of this podcast, and if I do, it'd be a miracle. But, uh... Uh, None of them paid me. None of this is advertising. I just wanted to go ahead and share what I use personally. Alrighty, guys, and I think we're going to go ahead and close it out there. Just want to let y'all know a couple things. I just finished recording a video interview with a local real estate agent where I'm at. I have been speaking with a mortgage lender in my area, and that interview is scheduled to take place in the next week or two. So it'll be another week or two delay before that comes up. But I've gone ahead and I've talked with a real estate agent. I'm going to talk to a mortgage lender. I'm going to reach out to an insurance agent coming up. So I want to be getting some more interviews done for you guys so we can have some fun stuff. If you have questions, comments, concerns, things that you'd like me to ask them, feel free to reach out. And just in general, if you have suggestions for future episodes, be sure to reach out on either the show's email address, which is MainStreetFinance at gmail.com, or on Twitter at MainStreetMoney. Both of those links are going to be in the description. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Main Street Finance Podcast. Have a question on today's topics or have suggestions for future episodes? Send an email to mainstfinance at gmail.com. Sharing is caring, so if you learned something new and useful today, make sure you share it with friends and family. Don't forget to like and subscribe to be notified of new episodes. For demonstrations and more examples, be sure to check out the YouTube channel. We'll see you next time.